This is Wayne Sanderson and my wife is Joy Sanderson. Uh, we met when she was working at Safeway. I invited her out for dinner. In fact, she wasn't gonna marry me because I didn't know Jesus. And I said, well, she ain't gonna tell me what to do. And then she'd been asking me to go to church and I finally says, well, I guess I'll go to church today. And then this man from Texas come in and said, anybody wants to be saved, come on down. I ran to the front, got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit because I don't think I could give up my alcohol without the Holy Spirit. I was drink drinking on Saturday and sober on Monday, so God delivered me from my drinking. Then we had four beautiful children. Also, I've been healed several times. I've had uh, bleeding disorder. They couldn't stop the bleeding, but God stopped the bleeding. I had cancer. I got delivered from my cancer. And then one day I was asking the Lord, what should I do? And he said, well, I have a lot of people working, but nobody's praying. So that's what started my praying ministry. Now I'm a prayer warrior for the church here. I do my prayer list every day, seven days a week, not just one day. I do all seven days a week, praying for lost people and people who need needs. I play a couple songs to start with, and I sing along with them with my harmonica. Then I start praying, so I start with the Martyr Church first, and I start praying through there, and I pray for all the missionaries on the wall. Just go down through the prayer list and pray for all the cancer people. Everybody's hurting. The exciting part of my ministry is when I see the answer prayers. Sometimes an hour, an hour and a half, because I play music in between. I play Christian music. I work my way all the way through the Bible, reading every day at least one chapter. Because I believe if you don't go in the Word, uh, God said everything will turn to rust and dust, but my Word is going to last forever. When you pray for people day after day, seven days a week, I get so involved. I'm like they're like my own family. So I'm thankful to the Lord I can be able to do this. And I know for a fact that this, this church is a praying church as I've seen so many answered prayers on our prayer list. Keep praying, don't give up. I'm going on 85 years old now. God gave me this ministry and I'm not gonna let it up. I'm not backing down. Come on, if prayer is your ministry, that is not a minor ministry, that's a major ministry. And I don't care if you're 85, 95, or 25, if you're praying, and if you don't know who to pray for, you start with this guy, all right? And uh, I just so appreciate anybody in this church that says, you know what, my ministry is going to be prayer. And I don't need somebody to help me or remind me or tell me when to do it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And uh, Wayne, I love your story. I love how he said, I don't know if I could have been delivered from alcohol without the Holy Spirit's help. Um, and I also love the line that he says, she wasn't going to marry me because I didn't know Jesus. And so he found Jesus, and Jesus and Joyce have been leading his life ever since together. So that's pretty cool. Uh, thank you, Wayne, so much for sharing that. If you're new here, we like to show uh, testimonies of people's lives on a regular basis. If you haven't shared one, uh, maybe it's time that you shared what God's done in your life. I mean, between those two baptism testimonies and then that my story, there's like three really cool stories of life change. And I want to be in places where people are sharing about how Jesus has changed their life. And maybe you're not even sure you believe that Jesus changes lives. Um, stick around, and uh, you'll see some more evidence of that uh, here in uh, our church. Let me just remind you of this. Uh, in three weeks from today, there's going to be an Easter gathering. Easter is April 17th, so that's just three weeks away. And we have three uh, times for Easter. It's 8, 9.30, and 11.15 on Sunday morning. The 8 o'clock is a family service, so all kids are invited to that. And then at 9.30 and 11.15, we're going to have a kids' ministry, some really fun, special Easter things for kids to do. So listen, most of our guests, we have between 100 and 200 people who come to church here on Easter who do not normally come. If you come and take up seats in the normal services, there's not going to be room for our guests. So we need some people who love God to come at 8 a.m. 
The worship team's here at 6.30, just so you know, all right? And um, if you would help us out with that, that would free up some seats for other people. Now, some of you, I've noticed that you sit in the same seat every week. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask my neighbor, would you please come? And would you please sit in this particular lady's seat and let's just watch her melt down when you beat her to her chair on Easter Sunday. Um, But I do need some help from you. So if you're able to come, how many people here in this live gathering say 8 o'clock, Pastor, I'll show up at Easter 8 o'clock. Go ahead, raise it high. Okay, now let's double that. We need some more. Come on. (laughs) Thank you. If you can, we were going to remind you of that. We want to just make sure that everybody who comes to church on Easter that doesn't normally come just has a fantastic experience, and you can help us with that in all the ways that you serve. Also, that Friday, we're going to have two Good Friday gatherings. Uh, We'll talk about what Jesus did on the cross. We'll receive communion. That's a really special time, uh, that in-house service. And if you're online only, there'll be a devotional Uh, But not everything we do at that gathering can be live uh, in that service, all right? If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. If you want to turn there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. So follow the four Gospels and you'll be in Acts. Or if you have your phone, type A-C-T, you'll find it, all right? Um, Man, I want to tell you something. I think that there is a hunger for more of the things of the Lord. And specifically, there's a hunger for the Holy Spirit in our world today and certainly in this church. And I think God moves when people want more of God. And so if you're here today and you're like, honestly, I'm like done with religion, I'm sick of COVID, I don't want a seeker-sensitive, watered-down message, I want God in my life, and I want as much of God as I can get. If that's you, you are helping to create that culture of desire for more of God's Spirit in our lives. And I'm telling you, I feel that in my life. The anointing today is not just from coffee and from my cool shoes I'm wearing, all right? I feel the spirit moving in our church, and it, it, the sincerity of that really gets me excited. The message is titled, this, this series on the book of Acts is entitled, Active Faith, because faith by, by definition has to be active. There is no such thing as inactive faith. That's called non-faith, right? If your faith is real, it's alive, it's active. And the scripture says that the believers, after Jesus came and lived, was crucified, dead and buried, resurrected and ascended to heaven, that the believers' faith was alive and active. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and it propelled them forward. There was like this wind of the Spirit. They were immersed in the Spirit or they were drenched in the very Spirit of God. And that's what I'm hoping for my life and yours. Because when the Spirit of God is fully alive in you, there's no way your faith can be inactive. Because the Spirit of God is always on the move. The Spirit of God, sometimes the Spirit of God is moving at lunch as much as it is at the altar at church. And right now, this very second, there are people all around the world being saved, delivered, baptized, called to ministry, um, confessing their sins, coming clean. I mean, right now, the Spirit is working in incredible ways all across the planet. The Spirit of God is always on the move. And so our prayer is simply this, God, if you're moving somewhere near me or in my world today, Spirit of God, if you're hovering in my workplace, in my church, in the parking lot, then God, use me. If you're ministering at the grocery store, use me. If you're looking for someone to use, use me. How tragic would it be if the Holy Spirit is looking for someone to use in someone else's life, but you are too busy with your own schedule and distracted to be used mightily by God? Let's be people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and God uses us in the lives of others. The Spirit of God is always on the move. Before he was crucified, Jesus told his followers that he would send them the Spirit. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he said, I'm going to send you the comforter or what we sometimes call the counselor. And I'll give you another C word. He is the convictor. Because the Holy Spirit sometimes convicts you of things that you said 
or did. You know what that feels like? And immediately you go, oh, God, that was the wrong attitude. That was the wrong spirit. I slid into third base as the pastor, and I cussed out the other team. That was probably not wise, Lord Jesus. That was the previous pastor, not this one, okay? But seriously, there's times in your life where you're just like the Holy Spirit, because he's in you, he convicts you. He loves you. He wants you to stay on course. He comforts you. He gives you counsel. Listen, God can give you wisdom and understanding. The Holy Spirit gives you strength that you don't have on your own. Come on, who doesn't want to have the strength of God for their life today? David said it really clearly. He said, with my God, I can scale a wall. Uh, He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. With my God, I can stand in places I should never be able to stand, but it's because of God in my life. That's a life worth living. Well, I can only do what I can do on my own because God's not active in my life. I'm not signing up for that faith. I I want because God is in my life, I'm able to do things that I never should be doing. And if you don't know that's true of me, talk to someone who knew me at 15 years old, and they'll tell you. Listen, the Holy Spirit wants to use you and and impact your life. The Spirit empowers us, and we receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. That's what Jesus said. Listen, I've been an anemic Christian. I've been an inactive Christ follower. It's lame. It's not fun to serve the Lord without the power of the Spirit moving in your life. I want to be alive. I want to be empowered. I want to be energized by the Holy Spirit in my life. Listen, if your car battery dies and your car is out in the garage and the battery is like dead and gone, listen, you don't go to the drawer in your house and go find a couple of double A's and go replace the battery in your car, do you? Because it's designed for so much more. And sometimes I think that we're living our lives like that. Uh, We are designed for more. We are designed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have true power in our lives, effectiveness in our lives. And the reality is this, there's still people who are saying, hey, I want God the Father in my life. He created me and Jesus died for me and he's the Savior. But the Holy Spirit, some of that stuff about spiritual gifts, I don't understand or or it's mystical and I don't know how the Spirit moves all the time and the effects of that. So I'm just going to kind of check out on that. Like, Jesus, thanks for sending the Spirit, but no thanks. Who in their right mind says, I want to follow Jesus, but when he sent me the comforter, the counselor, the Spirit, I'm going to reject his gift? Think about that for a minute. Of course I want Jesus in my life. This is what's so powerful. Of course I want his Holy Spirit because it's Jesus' gift. So when Jesus comes to Peter and says, hey, listen, I'm going to wash your feet. And you remember what happened in that moment. Like Peter understands washing feet, and he says, this will not happen. He's determined. Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. I'm not going to let you because you are so much greater than I am, and this is a subservient task. I won't let you do it because I honor and love you too much. And Jesus says to Peter something fascinating. He says, listen, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you have no part with me. Peter kind of has one of those, like, the dog turns his head sideways moments, you know? Like, what? And then Peter responds to Jesus, then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well, because I want everything you want to give me. I want all of you. And if you're giving me your Holy Spirit, you better believe I want your Holy Spirit in my life. We need the Holy Spirit to live our lives, especially in the world today. So let me just take you to the text. Acts chapter 3 is where we are. I'm going to back up to Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to go into the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of 3 because I just preached it two months ago. It's a message you can find online called Seven Habits of Highly Effective 
Christians. I'm going to go over those seven points just briefly with you. If you read the, the chap, verse 42 through the end of the chapter, you'll find that the early church, this is how the, they were described. They devoted themselves to good teaching. They fellowshiped together and they ate together. Come on, everybody here can follow that one. Let's eat together, right? Uh, they prayed. They gathered together with the church. They chose gladness and joy. They praised God. And then number seven goes actually into chapter three. They were enthusiastic. This is, the, this is the mark of the early church. They had these habits. They had a habit of prayer. They had a habit of choosing joy, of praising God, of gathering together, of fellowshipping together, fighting for unity, devoting themselves to good teaching. And then as you get into chapter three, I never leave out the first part of chapter three. Because as the church was unified and filled with the Spirit, suddenly those guys that were denying Jesus become powerful men and women of God. And it says that Peter and John are on their way to the temple, and they pass a guy. They pass a guy that's been begging there like every day. And for some reason that day, because he's in tune with the Holy Spirit, Peter's antenna is up, and he sees him, and he sees him not just in the physical world, but he sees him in the spiritual world. And he sees him, and he says, today God wants to heal you. I mean, that's a powerful thing to say. And he says, listen, I don't have silver or gold to give you, but I got something better. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And the guy is radically healed. Now, this is what's so fantastic about this story. He's got no muscles because he has been like lame from birth. And we're not talking about your uncle who's lame from birth. We're talking about this guy who like physically couldn't walk from birth, right? And suddenly he has muscles where he had no muscles. Forget muscle atrophy. There just never muscles there. He's born without an ability to walk. And it says that he begins jumping and leaping and praising God in this supernatural healing moment. Do you know what it takes for somebody who has no muscles ever in their life uh, to suddenly as an adult jump around and, and be, that's supernatural miracle. You know what that's compared to? That is you with your uh, energy, stamina, flexibility. That's you coming, going to the Olympics and they say next on the floor routine is your name. And you go out there too to do the gymnastics floor routine and you score a perfect 10. Yeah, with your flexibility and your body type. Okay, that, that's, how, that's how miraculous that would be right there. Like, how can this guy be healed? And he doesn't go like, Jesus, heal me. This is great. I think I'll just go, you know, grab a bite to eat. He's filled with enthusiasm. I want to be in a church where people are excited about what God is doing in their lives. They have enthusiasm in their lives. Not hype, but genuine enthusiasm. So be enthusiastic. These are habits of the church. So chapter 3, this man has been healed. It's creating a scene as people mob around them. I'm going to take you to chapter 3, verse 11. It says this. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. And Peter saw this opportunity and he addressed the crowd. He said, people of Israel, why is this so surprising? And why do you stare at us as though we made this man walk from our own power or godliness? Quick note, isn't it great to give God credit for what God did? And when we get to Acts 12, you're going to see the guy who took credit for something that wasn't his and allowed himself to be worshipped as God, the opposite of Peter and John, and it ends ugly. Um, it's going to be, you know, if you like the movie Braveheart, you're going to not want to miss that weekend, all right, because it's gory. All right, verse 13, for it is God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has brought this glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. Now watch what Peter does because he looks at people and he says, this is what God did for Jesus and this is how you treated Jesus. 
he especially likes to look at the religious leaders and said, this is how God treated Jesus and this is what you did to Jesus. So here we go. This is the same Jesus who you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, uh, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. That's what you did. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Uh, before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Peter's constantly pointing people back to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. He's never saying, look at me, baby. Right? He's a reflection of what the Lord's done in his life. Why? Why does Peter do that? Because Peter knows what it's like to just sit there, stare at your own feet and cry because you hate yourself. Because you despise yourself for your own sinful nature. He wept bitterly after he denied Jesus. He knows what that feels like. And he knows that he was brought back to life by Jesus. He's never taken credit for what Jesus has done. He's reflecting Christ. He's the one who forgives. He's the one who healed me. That's what Peter understands in his life. So he's giving credit to the Lord constantly. Verse 17 says, friends, I realize that you and your leaders did what you did to Jesus was done in ignorance, but God was fulfilling all the prophets that had foretold about the Messiah that he must suffer these things. Here we go, verse 19. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. This scripture is so important. The gospel is this, that we must repent of our sins and turn to God. Listen, if you're ever in a church that goes, oh, we don't really believe in sin. We don't ever really talk about repentance. There's a problem there, isn't there? Because there's no need to have a savior if there's not a sin problem. I actually have people in our church that will come to me and they'll say things like this. I love your church, but you just talk about sin too much. No, I'm serious. Like, I, I really like the church, but you make too much emphasis that, that we're sinners in need of a Savior. I was like, um, that's called the gospel, right? And uh, if we all look inside, we are all more than aware that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. So wherever you go, this word repentance, it goes with you. I turn from my sin, and I'll do it again. But I'm turning away from my sin and I'm turning towards the Lord and asking God for his help in my life. That is the gospel. We must talk about sin. Jesus came so that sin would not keep us from the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Let me just take a moment and remind you of this. There are good things that God wants to do in your future. You are called to keep dreaming. You're called to keep believing for what God wants to do. Listen, when your memories are more exciting than your dreams, you've already begun to die. That's what Howard Hendricks said, and I think it's, it's a thought-provoking comment. Lord, I, I don't want to stop dreaming. One of the challenges as we get older, one of the challenges we've been around things of uh, faith for a long time is we can get a been there, done that attitude. And it's easy to get cynical. I go to a lot of church gatherings. I could get cynical real easy. And when I worship, I don't care how bad the guitar player is, the piano player is, this is my opportunity to worship God. And I want to worship God and not get cynical ever in my life. I, I listen, um, these, these early church, they were praying, they were telling testimonies of God's goodness, they were fighting for unity, they were looking out for each other, they were preaching, they were sharing their faith, they were reaching out to unbelievers, they were encouraging other believers. Listen, a life of faith is never boring. If your faith is boring, it's not God. Guess who it is? 
A life of faith is exciting. William Carey said it like this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And the disciples are doing that. They're expecting a move from God and they're attempting things for God that are bigger than themselves. The greatest thing you could do is always challenge yourself, always stretch yourself, always throw yourself in the pool spiritually over your head, say, God, I need your help. But if you just wait out and do what you can control, I'll just give just enough that I can figure this out on my own. I'll serve just enough that I still have plenty of time to do everything that I want to do in my life. Listen, if you're going to really grow in God, you're going to challenge yourself. You're going to stretch yourself. You're going to push yourself. Don't wait for somebody else to do it for you. Be that person who says, God, I want to grow in you. And I'm not content. I'm hungry for more of your, your, your presence in my life. Peter and John were that way. They, they attempted great things for God. They expected God to move, and he did. Listen, faith, there's another word for faith. That word is risk. Risk. And my challenge to you today is this. When is the last time you took a risk in your faith? I mean, you did something that scared you, and you were like, God, I don't know how this is going to work out. Something that stretched you and, and took a lot of guts for you to do. Listen, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Dream new dreams for God. Give God the opportunity to do something supernatural in your life. It may make you nervous, and it's healthy for you. Some of you, even this week, you're like, okay, God, I'm going to invite that person to church. I'm going to pray for that person publicly. I'm going to give that person uh, money. I don't know what, what God asked you to do, but you responded. That's a life worth living. That's fun to attempt those things for God. So in the scripture, chapter 3, verse 11 through 19. 19 says, repent and turn away from your sins and turn to God in your life. The gospel always talks about sin. Now let's jump into chapter four. This is what it says. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until the morning. You might have read this before and gone, oh, they got arrested again. Do you know what it's like to get arrested? A few of you do. And it's not cool to have them come and say, you don't say goodbye to your family. You don't get a meal. We're going to take you now, and we're going to arrest you, and tomorrow morning you can, you can actually have a, a trial about this. But for now, we're taking you in, we're illegally. I mean, there's no rights. And here's what's fascinating. Sometimes you go, the favor of God is upon you. Life will be great. Listen, sometimes the time in your life where the favor of God is with you is during the time of most hardship and opposition in your entire life. Immature believers do not understand that if you're serving God with your life, you can be in the center of God's will and you can be opposed and you can have hardship and you can be persecuted for your faith and the favor of God is still upon your life. Persecution is part of following Jesus. There are times in my life where I sit across the table from someone who doesn't like something I say or believe or I stand up for the scripture. And I will say to them, I fear God more than I fear you. Like your opinion, trust me, it matters. But his opinion of me really matters. And I've decided a long time ago, I'm gonna live my life for the Lord, come what may. And so... That decision's already been made for me of who I am and who God's created me to be. Persecution is part of faith. Opposition is part of faith. Here's the great thing about it. Opposition forces you to grow, doesn't it? Don't like it, but it forces us to grow. So in the book of Acts, chapter 4, 
It says, the next day of the council and all the ruling elders, chapter 5, uh, or chapter 4, verse 5, the teachers of the law and the religious leaders, they gathered. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and some others were there with them. And they brought in the two disciples, and they demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Have you ever seen intimidation tactics before? Or maybe you've interviewed for a job, and it's been like you or you and a friend and a whole bunch of other people. Can you imagine, like, these guys, these fishermen being thrown into a room with all the important, influential people, and you've been in jail last night, and now they put you in front of them, and they're like, we want to talk about who you're talking about. And your answers depend on where you sleep tonight. We have the power to hurt you bad. And Peter had just denied Jesus to a servant girl. And now he's standing in front of the Jewish ruling council who's not excited about Jesus. What's he going to say here? What's changed? The Holy Spirit has filled him so things are different. So they brought these two disciples in and they said, by what power or whose name have you done this? Where did you get this ability to heal this man? What is your agenda? Who's going to get the credit for this miracle? We are hearing rumblings about this Jesus of Nazareth again. And his followers are still at it, even though we crucified him. Are you going to cause us trouble, Peter and John? And this is what it says, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Come on, wouldn't it be great if your name was in that line and it said, Then Jill, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Then Mark, filled with the Holy Spirit, put your name in there. Filled with the Holy Spirit. What, what would you say if you were filled by the Holy Spirit? Whatever's coming out of your mouth after that sentence is going to be good, isn't it? And it's going to be powerful because the Holy Spirit brings power. What if you are filled with the Holy Spirit when you speak at work? What if your answer is dripping with wisdom because the Holy Spirit is in you and speaking through you? That is our prayer. Verses 8 and 9 says this, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you know, do you want to know how he was healed? And then he just blasted, verse 10. Let me clearly tell all of you and all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. It is by the name of Jesus. And I'm not afraid to tell you that. Listen, as believers, when we declare in Jesus' name, we are publicly stating, not by my authority, but by the authority of Jesus. You're not going to pray, um, Lord, you know, in the name of Mother Teresa, be blessed, right? You're not praying in the name of Billy Graham or Mary, the mother of God. You're certainly not praying in the name of Pastor Peter, come out. No, that's not happening, right? There's authority in the name of Jesus. So when believers declare in Jesus' name, by my authority, may this all be done by the authority and the power of the Savior. That's the prayer. Now listen, Acts 19 tells a story of people trying to, uh, who weren't really following Jesus, trying to use his name as a magic word or a mantra, and it didn't go so well. But when people who have a living faith based on a personal relationship with Jesus call upon the name of Jesus, it's his power heaven's power, not our own. Verse 11, after Peter states that, um, let me jump down to verse 12. He says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name in heaven by which we must be saved. Peter just lays it on the line. It's not us. And we want you to know that. We're not special. We know that everybody's freaking out because this guy is like running and jumping. We all know him as a beggar, but it wasn't us. You got to know that. 
F.F. Bruce, uh, in his commentary, one of my favorites, he wrote this. Do not imagine, said Peter, addressing the multitude, that it was by any special power or piety on our own that we made this man walk. Do not stare at us as though we were anything wonderful or anything wonderful about us. And do not be so surprised as what has happened to this man. This is God's doing. This is God's doing. The reason this guy is healed, this is God's doing. It's not us. What a powerful statement for him to make. In your life and mine, wouldn't it be great if we say, if you want to know how, how I'm becoming who I am today, it's God's doing. If you want to know the redemptive power, why we can do what we do, it's what's God's doing in my life today. If you want to know how I got into my purity, how I received freedom from my addiction, it's God's doing in my life. That's what's changed. And they have no problem admitting it. Now, verse 13 is one that's famous. And I love it. Probably many of you do. It's probably underlined in your Bible. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Maybe you've read it in the NIV. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized these unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note these guys had been with Jesus. Listen, here's the reality of of this situation. You need time with Jesus. When you spend time with Jesus, you have a strength, an ability, a leadership, a power, a passion, a conviction. There's something inside of you that other people look at and they go, what happened to you? You've spent time in God's presence. You receive power from his spirit. Listen, be in gatherings. Spend time in the word. Be alone with God. Get in a small group of people. Grow in the Lord. You can't afford not to spend time with Jesus. You need that time in the Lord. Listen, you're in a battle for your faith every day. Every day, and America is no longer saying, we love the Bible. America is no longer saying, hey, the church is incredible. The church is helpful. If you're going to be a person of faith and not fall away, you're going to have to press in. The great thing about these days is we're going to find out who's pressing in and who's not. Right? Who's really going to cling to Jesus during hard times? And who's not? If you don't want to grow spiritually, make sure you're not in church. Make sure you don't read the Bible. But Peter and John replied, listen, judge for yourselves whether it's right to, in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling others about him. We're inspired. We found the hope. Um, we can't stop telling other people about Jesus. The Holy Spirit in us it just empowers us to do this. And you might be saying, that sounds great, Pastor. I love all of that except the part about being interrogated and incarcerated. That part I can go without. Right? I don't want to be threatened because of my faith. And I want to tell you today, listen, your faith requires opposition to grow. It really does. Your faith needs obstacles for you to trust in God and go over. You need challenges for your faith to grow. Calm seas never made a good sailor. Yeah, my life's blessed and easy. Times are peaceful, so I'm serving God. That's not when you grow. You grow during the hardships. You learn to trust God during the opposition in your life. And some of you are there right now. And if you learn to cling to Jesus during the worst days of your life, the hardest times of your faith, the time you're struggling with doubt, the time when you're criticized for your faith, the time when you haven't heard God's voice and you don't know why, if you cling to the Lord during those times, Times where you're in the hospital, times where you're at the, the cemetery, 
Times when prayers go unanswered and we don't understand why. Listen, your character isn't refined when life is peaceful. Hardships are when you're, and when you lean on the Lord, that's when you learn and grow the most. So maybe today you could say, Lord, I need a miracle. I need you. I need your help in my life. I want more of your Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but as a pastor, the, the concept of people limping around trying to be nice people without the Holy Spirit makes me concerned for the future of any church. I want to be part of a church where people are going, I, I want the power of God in my life because the only way I'm overcoming is through the Spirit of God. It is not through me. This is, this is how he said it. If you guys want to know what's happening here, what, what's going on, this is God's doing. When the Spirit moves in your life, and changes the world through you, would you just tell everybody, this is God's doing? How did you give up alcohol? This is God's doing, Wayne said. How, how did your marriage come back together? This is God's doing. How did you become a person who prays and reads the word? How do you go to church every single Sunday? This is God's doing, right? Because I couldn't do it before. But God showed up. This is a great day to say, Lord, I can't, but you can. I'm powerless. You are powerful. Let's talk. Lord, come into my life and bring power to fully live for you. Some of you today, you used to have victory over the sins and struggles in your life, and for some reason today, you don't have that same victory. Like self-control is lost, and the battles you used to win, you're losing. I think today is the day to say, I've been fighting this battle with me, I need to fight this battle with the Holy Spirit and I will be with the Spirit but the Spirit's gonna go before me. So I'm gonna ask you if you'd bow your heads for a moment. Holy Spirit, I know that you are on the move here and now. Lord, that you are active in our midst and you are whispering and Lord, inside of some of us, you are declaring out loud what you want for us. And so, Lord, we need to make a declaration that you are welcomed, wanted, and invited in my life. If Jesus said the gift of the Holy Spirit is for me, then of course I want as much of the Holy Spirit as I can have. If I'm limping around powerless to sin and temptation and struggle in my life, I invite the Holy Spirit to make me strong. If I've got to make decisions and I don't know what to do, then I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to be that counselor who gives me wisdom. Lord, for some of us, God, our heart is broken and what we need is the comforter. Because we don't know how family got this way. It was never supposed to be this way. Lord, if we stopped dreaming, if we stopped attempting great things for you and our faith got boring, God, help us to realize that we must stretch ourselves, we must push ourselves, or we will slowly die in our faith. Lord, help us to take great risks for you, to understand that you are alive and at work. Lord, we repent of our sins and we turn away from them and we turn towards you 
Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Let there be a power in our lives, an understanding, a spiritual discernment that only comes from you. And Lord, as we begin to have impact on the world around us, Lord, we will constantly say it is because of God. It's the Spirit's power that enables me to stand in places I could have never stood before, that I could climb walls that I could never climb before. And Lord, some of us, God, we've been failing recently, but a new time of victory is coming starting today. Starting today because the Spirit is more powerful than I am. It's not by my might, it's not by my power, but it is by the Holy Spirit. Lord, let us be like Peter, who once was weak, but the Holy Spirit came upon him in power, and he stood up for his faith, stood up for his God, pointed people not to himself, but to the one who gave his life for all. And Lord, for those who are facing opposition right now in their lives, God, those who are enduring persecution, hardship, unanswered prayers, struggling with doubts, fighting off, God, the temptations of man and the voices of the devil. God, I pray that this season be a great time of growth as they cling to you and invite your spirit to overpower the enemy in their lives. Church, if you are not fully following Jesus, would you just say, Lord, I repent of my sins and I turn to you. If you find yourself powerless in your faith at times, would you say, Holy Spirit, come into my life and empower me to fully live for you. Lord, be close to the brokenhearted. Bring strength to the weak. Lord, let our faith be not be based on who we are, but who you are. I'm going to ask you something I didn't ask the previous gathering, but I'm going to ask you to carve out a moment, just you and the Holy Spirit this week. You could even right now maybe even consider a place, maybe a particular chair or a place you walk or a spot in your house or your yard. Come and just park in the church parking lot on a Tuesday morning and just say, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to get alone with God and invite the Spirit of God to minister to you. Get hungry, church. Good things are coming. God wants to move in your life, and He does. Get ready. Miracles, courage. What if the church doesn't shrink? What if the church grows? Not because of you and me, but because the Holy Spirit is alive and well in Olympia, Washington. God, fill us with your spirit. Help us be more like you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Man, these are good days. Make sure that you uh, invite somebody to be in part of church with you. Um, gather together, do those seven habits of the church. If you're a newcomer in the last nine months, come have lunch. Listen, I've already put on the COVID-19. I can't eat my lunch and your lunch, all right? So come have lunch with us down in room 205. If you're a guest, make sure you hit the guest kiosk, all right? God bless you.